Thank you for listening to the Ablaze Church Sermon Podcast. Our purpose at Ablaze is to love God, love others, follow Jesus, and tell others. If you are looking for a church home in the Tulsa area, we'd love to have you join us for worship on Saturdays at 6.30 p.m. or Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, please visit our website at ablazechurch.org. You want to hear about the birds and the bees? Yeah, about spiritual birds and bees, okay? All right, so let's imagine this. Uh, it's a Sunday afternoon, early afternoon. The family is seated, seated for the Sunday dinner around the table, and mom asks the question, so Susie, what did you learn in Sunday school today? And she said, I learned about disciples. And then Susie gets reflective for a moment. She says, Mom, where do disciples come from? And so mom kind of explains some of the spiritual birds and bees. She said, well, disciples grow up. And when disciples grow up, they have other disciples. That's kind of how that thing works. Now, we go into the physical realm. And by the way, what is the very first command that God gave to people? It was not, clue, it was not, you shall have no other gods. Uh, it was not, you shall not eat of the tree that is in the middle of the garden. What was it? Did I hear, be fruitful and multiply? You know, the one commandment that God gave, the very first, which is the best kept commandment that there is. All right. But now we move into the, by the way, all physical things, all, all uh, things alive in nature have as their prime biological goal is to reproduce themselves. Now, we move into the spiritual realm. God has that in mind too, for believers to be reproducing themselves, for disciples to be making disciples who can make disciples who can make disciples. Now, imagine that going on for about 2,000 years, huh? And we're down to the present time. We'll talk now about disciples, followers of Jesus, and it goes this way, that mature disciples reproduce disciples. And that is the biblical pattern. They mature, they bear fruit, they reproduce so that they may populate the earth with other disciples, thus populating heaven and robbing hell. Now, as we look back to the time of the apostles, about 2,000 years ago, the opponents of Jesus did not succeed particularly well in crushing this new church. It seemed that the more they were persecuting, the more that the church grew. In the story about the early Christians in the book of Acts, in the eighth chapter, it tells us that there was a persecution that broke out in Jerusalem, and as a result, the people scattered all over it. But it says, and wherever they went, they told the gospel. They told people about Jesus. And it seems that the more they tried to stamp out Christianity, the more that it grew. They just couldn't get rid of those disciples. And then as that story and Acts move on, and there's Paul and Silas, his friend. They are on a mission journey, and they finally get to the continent of Europe, and they come to a city called Thessalonica, and they're telling about Jesus. They get in trouble with the people who had other interests and are opposing Jesus. And these opposition ones in the opposition say this, and it's in Acts 17, in the sixth verse, it says, these men 
have turned the world upside down. They were making a difference. However, they had it wrong. They were turning the world right side up. That's what disciples do. Well, we go back to the start. Let's go back those 2,000 years to the day of Pentecost. And uh, on that day of Pentecost, 3,000 of the people that were there and heard the preaching of Peter become believers and are baptized. And then just two chapters later, the next count comes and it says 5,000. And after that, there are no more numbers because they couldn't keep track anymore because the church kept on growing. Persecution could not stop the progress. Now, back in the year 2009, when Connie and I were in China for a short-term mission trip, try to say that three times and get it right. Okay, uh, and we were ministering and teaching in the underground illegal churches, and we saw firsthand the effects of persecution. For example, we had to be very cautious. We were told, when you're together in a restaurant, don't hold hands and and start praying, uh, you know, publicly like that. But maybe one of you can just simply say, why don't we all just uh, thank our Father who has been so generous to us and taking care of our needs and uh, for this food that we have. And when you're talking about your church, don't say the word church. Just say, oh, well, you know, he's a member of our club back home. And uh, then we would be meeting places with, uh, you know, secrecy. There was caution, clandestine meetings in secure places. And we heard many accounts of people who had gotten in difficulty for professing their Christianity openly and were ended up in, in, in jail. So, yet, the Christian church, even though the persecution has increased, is still growing. In fact, growing a lot faster than it is in the U.S., where it is in sharp decline. When we were the, the most southern part of China, which is Hainan Island, and uh, one of the uh, ladies, one of the Christians there, uh, she, had, she was the daughter of an official in the Communist Party. And she told her dad, she said, if you want, if the People's Republic of China wants to diminish the effect of Christianity so it's no longer a threat to the regime, why don't you just make it legal? And in two generations, it will be almost irrelevant. And uh, the the pattern will be that uh, there's apathy, indifference, just like in Europe, where it is now a post-Christian continent largely. And that trend is going on in the U.S. right now. Now, what I really want to be sharing with you today is how can that trend be reversed? And can we have a part in that reversal of the trend? And the answer is it can be reversed. We can have a part if we will follow the pattern that was set by Jesus. So we're going to look at what Jesus did, what he taught his disciples, how they multiplied disciples, and how the early disciples just kept on with that pattern. And uh, the secret is revealed by uh, Paul to the young pastor, Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.2. We're going to take another look at that. And it says, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses in trust to faithful people who will be able to teach others also. So it's like teach others who will teach others who will teach others who will teach others. 
Make disciples who will make disciples who will make disciples who will make disciples. We're not just looking for converts, okay? But we're looking for disciplers, people who become disciples, who become disciple makers. Now, Jesus went and chose some to be his disciples. He invited them, he called them, and there wasn't any prior experience that was required of one who was to be a disciple of Jesus. They didn't have to have any prior degrees or training. All of that was going to be the job of Jesus, and this is kind of how it worked out. We go to the first chapter of John, and we find that Jesus is already, in chapter one, choosing disciples. And uh, he encounters Andrew. Andrew meets Jesus, and he says, oh, where are you staying? Jesus answers, come and see. In fact, Jesus always says that, doesn't he? Come and see. And so he and another man went and spent the day with Jesus. Now, they wanted to get acquainted. If this is going to be the master, if this is going to be the one they'll follow, they want to know, who is he? And Jesus said, then, come and see. They spend real time with Jesus. And once they know him, they'll want to follow him. And Jesus says, follow me. So come and see. Next is follow me. This is a phase now that begins their training. Training was basically intensive time with Jesus. It was like an apprenticeship, doing what Jesus does and then <laughs> having to account for it, uh, frequently being tested, evaluated, corrected, put on the right track again, and then given a the chance to do it again. They get to know the character of Jesus. They learn to be like him. They want to pray as he prayed, learning to know what he knew, what he knew, speaking as he spoke. It was like a lot like Joshua, who spent a long time with Moses. And then when Moses was taken off the scene, Joshua knew exactly what to do because he had seen Moses doing this. He had spent a lot of quality time with Moses. He knew what was in Moses' heart. Jesus then did another thing. He did what he, what he, did. he imparted the Holy Spirit just like Moses did with the elders of Israel and with Joshua, and like Elijah did with Elisha. And Jesus did not just hand his disciples the playbook and say, here's the playbook, now good luck, I hope you do well. No, he said, I am with you. I am with you. How could that happen? He bestowed the Holy Spirit upon them so that Jesus could be with them because the Holy Spirit always brings disciples the living presence of Jesus. Now, Jesus wanted his disciples not just to watch or be observers, but to do and to multiply that effect, to reproduce more disciples, to keep in mind the spiritual birds and the bees. So as Jesus spends that time with his disciples, you know what he does? The first thing that he does he does this with everyone. He offers a relationship with God. That's key, a relationship with God. Because see, Jesus, he came to be the connection between a sinful humanity and a holy God because he was true God, true man, all at the same time, and he bridges that gap that sin makes. And with that, he provides the forgiveness of sins. So a relationship with God and the forgiveness of sins. And by the way, Jesus is the only source of that. It's through his crucifixion where he paid the price of all of our sins. And nobody gets forgiveness apart from Jesus. 
It's only here. You can't buy it in any store. You can't get it online. There's not an 800 number and have your credit card handy where you can get it. It is only through Jesus. And then what Jesus does, he addresses other needs in people's lives. Well, at at Ablaze here, we refer to them as the three Ps. Your person, yeah, what's your identity? Your people, what's your community? And your P for purpose. Why are you here? Where do you get meaning in life? Your person, Jesus says, you are my disciples. You are my friends. You are my flock. And then Jesus creates a community that is unlike any other community. The deepest forms of fellowship and caring and giving and sacrifice. Greater love is no one than this that he laid on his life for his friends. As Jesus did, he says, and now this is what you do for each other. That's just simply what disciples do. And then the meaning in life. Wow, what is the meaning? To follow Jesus, to be a disciple and make disciples. So Jesus now is addressing those needs, and he brings all now, as he trains them, into maturity. In that apprenticeship, that mentoring phase, he's always meeting a need, the relationship, the forgiveness, the identity, the community, and the meaning in life. Now comes the training and equipping phase. So they are trained to go and to bring other people in. The ones that they bring, they now train to be disciples, just as they are. And not just to be disciples, but to be disciple makers, because you see, this is how disciples are reproduced. Disciples make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Well, they're trained to bring others. Now, for example, Andrew, who we mentioned before, he got ahead of the curve and he ran and he got his brother Simon Peter and brought him to Jesus. Good job. Hey, you're getting it, Andrew. Then there was Philip, the next one that's mentioned in John chapter 1. He ran and he got his friend Nathaniel and he brought him to Jesus. Way to go, Philip. You're getting it. You're kind of seeing how that pattern goes. And then when Jesus called Matthew, who was sitting at his tax collector booth and, uh, you know, was hated by everybody and he was a real loser. He had a lot of money, but he was, you know, actually thought of as a, a loser. And all his friends were losers and people they called sinners and naughty ladies and things like that. He invited them all to his house. And he says, come on, we're going to have a big dinner. We're going to have a party. And there's going to be a guest of honor. He invited Jesus. And Jesus came because uh, Matthew knew Jesus was not turned off by these people, but that Jesus wanted to become their friends. Well, now Jesus, in all of this, he's teaching his disciples how to be disciples and disciple makers. And he arranges a lot of training exercises. He draws them close to himself. He teaches them the truths of the kingdom. He does that in just about everything that he does. And it's not in a classroom setting. He has, doesn't have a classroom. You know, we'll meet in room 203. It's on the second floor. And it's just by the elevator. You know, you can find it. It's real easy. He doesn't do it that way. He says, it's all going to be a matter of field trips. And so they go on these long walks. They go all the way from the southern part of, of Israel 
all the way up to Caesarea Philippi, which is right by uh, Mount Hermon, is about as far north as you can go and still be in, in Israel. And um, on those long trips, they do a lot of talking and they encounter a lot of people. And in those encounters, they find out, well, how does Jesus heal? How does Jesus address people's needs? How does Jesus bring encouragement? How does Jesus teach about the kingdom? How does Jesus um, actually uh, touch people's needs and acquaint them with God? And the force of his person the effect of his words so strong, so compelling, that Jesus is all they want. And when they want Jesus, they want other people to want Jesus as well. And so Jesus says, finally, after his resurrection and ascension, now you go and you tell others. Go into all the world. Tell them about repentance and forgiveness of sins. Tell them about a Savior who has died for them and rose again from the dead and who now joins them day by day and moment by moment in that journey through life by the Holy Spirit. Yeah, tell them about forgiveness. Tell them about that relationship. Tell them about their three Ps that they can know who they are as a person, who they, you know, who their community is and what their purpose in life is. And now it gets into the final phase, which is the reproduction phase, gets into high gear after Pentecost because Jesus has bestowed his Holy Spirit upon them, and they've got all the needed go power that they need. So the disciples, what do they do? They begin reaching into other people, meeting their ultimate needs that through, through the good news of Jesus, that people can have a relationship with God, they can have their sins forgiven, and that they can have the absolute assurance that when they die, they will go to heaven and be with God forever. And so the disciples, they go and they do like Jesus did. They make disciples who make disciples. And they reach, for example, if one disciple would reach two people in one year and make them disciples and equip them to be disciple makers, and then those two plus the other, the, the original one, those three would reach out and one, one year you know, create uh, more disciples, you know, two each, you know, that in a generation, you could reach the population of the world. Yeah, we could grow faster than they can kill us off. Well, they do what Jesus did, because what happens is this, is that disciples, mature disciples, then give birth to more disciples, and they can then train disciple makers. Now, if we think about this very personally, very personally, do you know, just like Andrew and Matthew and Philip and Matthew, we've got networks of people too. We probably know some people who are far from God, but are close to you. And if you don't have any, show up today for the uh, 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 for our fall festival. There are going to be people, you know what? Maybe not everybody that comes to the fall festival is going to be close to God. Maybe you're going to make some very, uh, some new, very best friends. Who knows? Maybe your network is going to be increasing. And what we do is we invite people, say, come and see. Meet the master. See who Jesus is. See what he's all about. And uh, sometimes we have to meet a need. Like Jesus met the need. You know, he healed people. He provided food for the 5,000. He just kept on going, meeting needs. And sometimes we need to meet a physical need or a social need or an emotional need. But when we meet the need, we can meet the deepest and the most 
important, which is the spiritual need to know God, to have sins forgiven, to have identity, community, and purpose and meaning in life. That's what the church is for. That's, but it's not just the job of a pastor. It's not job of the professional church workers. It is the job of all of us. As it tells us that we are, in, uh, in Ephesians 4, where we are the, the, that God has made, you know, apostles, evangelists, pastors and teachers. Why? To build up the saints, to equip the saints for the work of ministry until we all attain maturity in the knowledge of the Son of God. We want to be spreaders of good news. Okay, we got this little um, four-panel cartoon that we've been using in the month of October. Let's look at the first panel here where someone's got some news. And he wants people to get the news. He says, extra, extra, read all about it. Get your news now. Hmm, next panel. Uh, uh-oh, you know, here's the lie. <laughs> uh, nobody wants to hear the news. This is so depressing. It's either bad news or fake news. People want more news. Uh, well, actually, that's a lie. People want news. And so this guy, he's got it. He's on his bicycle, and he says, I must spread this news. This news is not bad news. It's good news. It's not fake news. What is it? It's the truth, because it's about Jesus, who is the truth. And it says, it's good news. How much you have to pay for it? It's free. You know that? Absolutely free. The gift of God, not because of works, lest anyone should boast. So, reproducing. Give you a little clue. Okay, shepherds. Do shepherds reproduce sheep? No, sheep do. Mm-hmm. Shepherds, pastors, okay. Uh, what do the shepherds do? They want to make sure that the flock is healthy, that the flock is maturing, because it will be the flock that will reproduce the sheep. It's a very important thing. And so we need to all be connected to the discipling process. We do what we call cross-training. That's a disciple-making and a disciple-reproducing process. Oh, it's still in its early phases, and it's unfolding. It's still imperfect, but we learn, we grow, and then we want to share this with other people. And, uh, you know, we've all got a network of people, some people who are close to you but far from God, and you might be, who knows, if you will pray and if you'll ask God to help you out. By the way, you don't have to have all the right words. Sometimes... <laughs> Some of the most bumbling presentations of the plan of salvation have resulted in people receiving it. I know. I've bumbled a lot of times. But I've seen people respond and say, yes, I want Jesus in my life. And he bestows the Spirit. You know, how much more will my Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Did you know that the Holy Spirit didn't get weaker over 2,000 years? You know, you think about the day of Pentecost. And what happened and how it was so transformative? You think the Holy Spirit got weaker? No. He's just as strong. And by faith, we receive that blessing of the Spirit in our lives so that we can be equipped to tell other people. Well, we want to be busy showing Jesus to people so that we can populate this world with disciples of Jesus 
and populate heaven and rob hell. Amen.